Hello, and welcome to another episode of our podcast recorded at the Seventh-day Adventist Church of Adairsville. I'm Jared, and we're delighted you're listening. But if you're ever in the area, we'd be even more excited if you dropped in to say hi and enjoyed some good Southern food with us. But I have a disclaimer I need to make. I'm not a pastor. I didn't go to seminary. I didn't even take theology classes. But we were in an elders meeting one week. And Jared comes up and says, Listen, guys, I would like the elders to all present a, a message to the church. And I got that deer in the headlights look, and I'm like, what did he just say? What, 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 what? I got out my phone. Is that in the church manual? And I started looking and I'm like, what, what, what is he thinking? You know, the experience that I have, I have 23 years experience of teaching in the youth department. I started out at the high school age of 14 to 16. I taught at GCA, the, the, the youth at GCA. Did that for a while and did such a great job that they decided to promote me all the way down to kindergarten. <laughs> so I did there, taught there for a while and did such an excellent job that they continued to promote me and put me in cradle roll. And I just I said to my wife, I said, man, they're just promoting it. It's just awesome. I must be doing such a great job. She said, well, I hate to tell you this, but... Uh, your maturity level best suits that age group. And that's why they moved you in there. And I thought to myself, was, was that a compliment? Or was, I don't know, I still have some research to do on that. I got to think about that a little more because I guess it makes a little bit of sense now why when I hear her say that she's raising three kids, I'm thinking, we only have two. I don't know who that third one is. I just figured she didn't know how to count. So we just, we just moved on with, with that one. So we'll, we'll head back with that. But these past couple of weeks, we have been studying the heroes of faith. And we've had some really good topics, good sermons, good presentations. And we're going to continue today in Job But before we get started, I thought it was important that we take a look at this faith first and get a definition of what the Bible says faith is. So if you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now this faith that we talk about, it must be a pretty important thing because Paul goes on Later in this chapter, and I'm just going to read through these things really quick. Verse 4, By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. By faith Enoch, verse 5, was taken away so that he did not see death. Verse 7, By faith Noah, being of divinity, warned of things yet not seen. Verse 8, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out of the place which he would receive an inheritance. Verse 11, by faith Sarah herself was received strength to conceive seed. Drop down to verse 17, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. 20, by faith Isaac blessed Jacob. 21, by faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed the sons of Joseph. 22, 
By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made a mention of the departure of the children of Israel. Verse 23, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months. All the way down to verse 30, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell. And a couple weeks ago, by faith, we heard about Rahab the harlot. All these people that we've been talking about have faith. That faith must be a very important thing. And so as we look at the story of Job, we're going to start with that. If you return with me to Job, it's Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job. If you went to Psalms, you went a little bit too far. And we're going to start with this story of Job and see what we can, can learn a little bit from this message today. Job 1, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, and one who feared God and shunned evil. Now in the, 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 I'm reading from the New King James, the King James said he was perfect, and that perfect doesn't mean that he was without sin, it means that he was perfect in his relationship with God, that he desired to be with God. God uplifted him. He had this communication thing going on between the two. And so we'll continue on verse 2. And the seven son, he had seven sons and three daughters that were born to him. And all his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the east. Now, we need to back up a minute here because we got to understand the wealth of this man, Job. When it says he had 3,000 sheep, or 7,000 sheep, he had 3,000 camels. Now, if we try to relate that in today's terms, camels were what they used to haul all their goods around with. So, if you want to relate it today, he had 3,000 semi-trucks or moving vans. That's a lot of things there. 500 yoke of oxen, yoke means two. The Bible says don't be unequally, unequally yoked, that tells us two. So he had 1,000 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household. He would have to have a large household to take care of all those animals. And that he was the greatest of all the people of the east. And his sons would go and feast, verse 4, in their house, and each on his appointed day, birthday possibly, and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was that the days of feasting had to run their course, that Job would send and sanctify them, and would rise early in the morning and offer a burnt offering according to the number of them all. For Job said, that it may be, that it may be my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts." Thus Job did this regularly. And the King James Version says continually, and I like that. Now let's take a minute and talk about that. Here we have Job, has all this wealth, greatness. But the Bible, when I read that text, tells me that he was concerned with his children. The spiritual value of what his children were going through. If you get anything out of this presentation today... I just pray 
that each one of you would take time to spend with your children. Pray for them on your knees every morning. Pray for your grandchildren. The enemy is out there and he's attacking and he's attacking hard. So if you take anything from this message, pray for your children. Very important. Now, this gives an account of Job and his family and his wealth. And we're going to take a, a little different direction now as we move on, move on to verse 6. It says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan had come among them. See, we're moving up into heaven now. There's kind of a, a council, a board meeting going on with the unfallen universes, and, and, and God, the Lord, is there, and these are all representatives of those unfallen worlds, and Satan is there as well. Satan is the representative of the earth. When Adam sinned, he fell. He relinquished that title, but thank the Lord he regained it when he uh, was on the cross and paid that price. But at this time, in this meeting, board meeting, they came together to talk about certain things. Now, this board meeting that was taken in heaven, it was... I'm pretty sure I read somewhere that that board meeting was once every other month. And if you need any description on that, you need to ask Woody about that because it's very important that that every other month thing is biblical. <laughs> so, um, verse 7, And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come from? So Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro from the earth and from walking back and forth on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in all the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? So here, in this meeting, God is almost looking at, I don't want to say he's being antagonistic, because that's not how God is, but he has so much faith in this man, Job, that he's willing to present him to, God, to Satan and say, Look at this man. Your accusations to me is that no one can follow your commandments, your rules, your laws. It's impossible. You see, in heaven, when, before Satan fell, he had this pride issue. He wanted to be like God. He wanted to be in that position where everyone was praising him. And when he didn't achieve that, he was angry and he fell. Well, he couldn't, with his angels that follow him, he couldn't tell them that, it was all about me. He had to come up with a, a different plan, and that plan was that God was unfair and that no one could follow what God had laid out for us. It was impossible. So God, knowing what's going through Satan's mind, says, have you considered my servant Job? Just think of those words. Have you considered my servant Job? Move on to verse 9. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him? Have you have him or a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that everything that of his on every side? Have you blessed the work of his hands and possess, and his possessions and his increase? In his land. So now uh, Satan is making an accusation that the only reason why Job serves you is because you've blessed him with great wealth 
That's the only reason. Verse 11, but now stretch your hand out and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse your, your, he will curse you to your face. So again, Satan is telling the Lord that the only reason, and he's trying to verify his accusations that he made in heaven, that the only reason why Satan, that Job serves you is because you bless him. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, verse 12, that all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay your hand upon his person. So Satan went out from his presence to the Lord. Now I want to back up just a minute and talk about this, this meeting in heaven. Because there's a, it's kind of like a microchasm of what's going on here. And up in heaven with this, this meeting, there's, there's kind of this battle, this great controversy that's going on between God and Satan. And it's very important that we understand that battle there's a, an author, one of my favorite author, authors, who, who wrote a book called The Great Controversy, and I recommend that everyone read that book because it gives better description of that battle between, between God and Satan. And so that battle back and forth is happening between uh, God and Satan, that great controversy. So now on verse 13, we drop back down, and we're back down to earth. Satan has the, the uh, permission to go ahead and, and do what he will with Job. Verse 13. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them, when the Sabaeans raided them and took them away. Indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Verse 16. And while this, while he was still speaking, yet also another came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Boy, things are starting to add up here really quick. Satan's not wasting any time whatsoever. He's, in a, he's on a mission right now. Verse 17. And while he was yet speaking, another also came in and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels, and took them away. Yes, and killed the servants by the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. We're not done yet. Verse 18, while he was speaking, yet also another came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And suddenly a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. So right now, Job is going through a pretty major experience right now. But you know what his reply was? Job arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head, and he fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. In all this, Job did not sin, nor charge any, did not charge God with any wrong. Now, when we take a look at all that tragedy that happened to Job, you know, we're supposed to take lessons from the Bible and apply that to our life. We think about 
Would I be able to stand tall? Would I be able to say those words that Job, blessed be the name of the Lord after all that tragedy? Well, the thing is, is that Job's tragedy is just beginning. Let's move on into chapter 2 of Job. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. They had another board meeting. It was the third month, the second. Ask Woody about that. Um, they came before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro from the earth and walking back and forth on it. And the Lord said to Satan again, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on all the earth, blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil, and still holds fast to the integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause? So here God is asking Satan again. He knew what all he did to Job. God knew ahead of time that he has so much faith in Job that he would be able to put him ahead of, of Satan. But here again in this meeting again, Job, the, Satan comes back up and God plays him before him. Verse 4, So Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yes, all that a man has he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand on him now, touch his bone and flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face. Well, the old tactic of taking everything he had, you know, Satan thought he had that all wrapped up. Well, he didn't. So now he comes at God with a new tactic and says, Surely Job wouldn't serve you if, you were, if I was able to uh, put a, a curse upon his, his, himself, his body, if I were to inflict pain upon his person, then he would curse you. Verse 6, And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, in your hand, behold is in your hand, but spare... Be, I'm sorry. The Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. And he took for himself a potsherd, some pottery, broken pottery, in which he scraped himself with it as he sat in the midst of the ashes. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. We need to take just a minute there. I'm going to talk to both men and women here, but this is addressing the women, but it's for both of us. Husbands, wives, we have to support each other. Church family, it's most important that when one of us is going through a situation in our life, we don't need our spouse to drag us down with us. We need our spouse to uplift us, to give us strength. I mean, Job was in such trials. I mean, he just lost all that he had, all his wealth. He lost his children. And now his wife says, why don't you just curse God and die? That's probably not what Job needed at that time. He needed someone to uplift him and give him strength. Verse 10, But he said to her, You speak as one the foolish woman speaks, as one of the foolish women speaks, 
Shall we indeed accept good from God? And shall we not accept adversity? In all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. Wow. James 1, 2 and 3 says, My brethren, count it all a joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. So James is telling us that we should count it a joy to go through trials. That makes me kind of curious. What does that mean, count it a joy to go through trials? Because all of us have gone through these trials. We know what it does to us. It either puts us one way or another. It either draws us to God or it separates us. And we as Christians believe that with that faith that we hold on to, those trials that each one of us has in our lives that needs to draw us to God. That's our prayer anyways. Job 11, chapter 2, verse 11. Now when Job's three friends heard of all the adversity that had come upon him, each one came from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, Zophar the Namathite. For they had made an appointment together to come and mourn with him and comfort him. And when they raised their eyes from afar off and did not recognize him, they lifted their voices and wept. And each one tore his robe and sprinkled dust on his head toward heaven. So his friends heard about these tragedies that were happening to Job and decided, hey, let's go and give Job some comfort. Well, as they traveled and got closer to Job, and they looked and they saw Job sitting outside by the gate, they didn't even recognize him. That tells me that these sores, these boils that he had, were so tremendous that, that no one of his, of his friends recognized him. So they sat with Job, verse 13, on the ground seven days and nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his grief was great. Have you ever been in a situation where someone had passed away or some tragic event happened to one of your friends and you just didn't have the words? You didn't know what to say. It's like, Lord, give me something to say. His friend sat there for seven, week, or seven days and didn't say a word to Job. That means that tragedy was pretty great. The story continues on with his friends and because of a lack of time, his friends just kind of come at him with, what, it was it, or what was it, Job, that you did that caused all these tragedies? Because back in that time, when any kind of conflict or tragedy or trial came to you, it's because you did something wrong. That's what the, that Jewish nation believed. Each one of us have suffered many trials in our life. And I'm going to take a little bit of time here to give you or share with you uh, three trials in my life that have kind of brought me from a faithless state to a faithful state. Um, I come from a family of uh, six children. Uh, I was raised in the Adventist church. We attended church regularly, and whenever there was an event at the church, our family was there. Uh, I would say we weren't 
as spiritual as we need to be, needed to be at home. Uh, we did not have morning and evening worship. Uh, we did open the Sabbath on Friday evening, but we did not have it every morning and evening. And that's one thing that I want to, to bring out is that how important it is to spend that time with your children, to have morning and evening worship. Look, we are in a battle with Satan right now. And he is attacking. I have a nephew that, I have several nephews that were in the military. And several of them in Afghanistan and in Iraq, and they were in combat. And I can't imagine that in the, all their training that they went through in these battles in Afghanistan and Iraq, that all of a sudden in the midst of battle that they decided to drop their weapon and pick up their phone and start looking up, uh, oh, i got to catch up on my Facebook uh, oh, I need that game. Oh, what's the football scores? They were taught to fight that battle with the weapon they had until that battle was over, to not give up. We are in a major battle, folks, with Satan. And I urge you to pick up your weapon right here and to fight that battle because it's very, very important to spend that time with our children so that when they get older, they will remember those times and they will recall those studies that we did with our children when they were young. Most important. Well, as I continue on with, our, with, with my story, um, again, like I said, we were uh, a family of six. Uh, because of having six children... My mother, first of all, was a very hard worker. My dad was as well. But my mother was very, very, a very hard worker. Could you imagine having six children and putting them all through Christian education? It's uh, very unbelievable what she did. And she sacrificed everything for us children. She went without clothes, without everything that I can think of. She sacrificed for us. And with having six children... Over time, you know, ladies, sometimes you lose your figure and you put on some extra pounds. And because of that, over the years of, of that extra pound, she tried many, many diets to lose weight, and, and none of them seemed to work. And because of the, uh, how do I want to say this, the maybe being picked on a little bit uh, from different people in areas of her weight, she decided that her last resort was to try this new technique that came out in 1979, which was, was called an intestinal bypass. So in 1979, in August, she de decided to have the surgery. She went into surgery, and a month later, she developed some complications. And in those complications, it put her in the intensive care unit uh, for quite some time. Uh, her, when they first took uh, some x-rays of what was going on, the doctors thought that she had uh, pneumonia in her chest. And so with that, they kept pumping her with high doses of antibiotics. And when they kept pumping the high dose of an antibiotics, it essentially it killed her liver and her kidneys, and they weren't functioning. And so she was on life support for a while. Uh, she ended up being in the hospital for five months. 
my, my youngest sister closest to me, all my other siblings are way older than us. Um, my youngest sister and I, uh, unfortunately, were unable to see my mother because she did not want to. We saw her twice in the five-month period. She did not want her youngest children to see her in the state that she was in because she was um, laying in bed for so long. She developed bed sores. And I might get a little emotional here, so I'm trying to keep my eyes off over here. She developed bed sores, and they put her on this rotating bed that spun around so that, that the backside could um, heal. And I remember uh, the doctors knew that she was not coming, ever going to come home. And it was getting close to Christmas. I said she went in in August or September. It was getting close to Christmas. And one of her last wishes, wishes were to spend a Christmas with her children. So my dad, I don't know how he did this, but he arranged to uh, rush her home. I can't remember if it was in, in, in a car or an ambulance or what was it? They brought her home in a car. And she came in and we celebrated Christmas uh, just with us, with all of us kids. And she ended up getting sick that evening of fever, and my brother tells me they had to put her in a bath of cold water to try to bring her temperature down. And after Christmas, they rushed her back to the hospital intensive care. But that was one of her wishes. The other time my sister and I were able to see her was um, late when she was getting close to death. It was, um, the month was uh, February of 1980. Um, my dad let us go up, my sister and I go see her, and of course I was kind of floored at what she looked like. She was very jaundiced and very, very sickly. And we came back home. My grandma took care of us for those, uh, those uh, five months while she was in the hospital, and I didn't get to see my dad very much either because he stayed the whole time with my mom. And I remember one evening, I'll never forget it, one afternoon, my dad came home, and we were excited to see my dad because we hadn't seen him in so long. And he sat down in his chair, and he told my sister and I to, uh, come up and have a seat on his lap. I'm sorry. So we sat on my dad's lap, and he began to tell us that our mother had passed away. And at that time, my faith level was very small. I mean, I prayed every day that I would see my mother again. I prayed that she would be healed. But God saw for some reason that that wasn't going to be. And so, because of my lack of relationship with God, it was hard for me to go through this situation. Very difficult. You know, I talked about that morning and evening worship with your kids. That's how vital and important it is. You guys thought that was for decoration. <laughs> it's very important to spend that time so that your children have that relationship. So if they have to go through a period of time, a struggle like that, that, they're, that they can do it. So as time went on, you know, wounds heal. And time passed on. But, you know, because I didn't have that faith, I struggled for 13 years of nightmares and it wasn't until the Lord brought me my wife, Janet, that, and the love that she brought me and the, the, the new picture of, of God and who he was, did I develop 
a little more faith. In our relationship, we grew closer and closer, and we grew closer to, to Christ. Well, as we got married, we decided to go ahead and, and start a family as, as new, newlyweds desire to do. And in the first year of our marriage, uh, Janet was pregnant, and I was working over at Hilton Head at the time. And I got a phone call, and she told me that uh, something was wrong, and that she, had, uh, she thought she had miscarried. And so I raced home from, from Hilton Head, and to come to find out, yes, she did miscarry. So the next five years we spent, after we healed from that situation, we spent trying to start a family again. Year one, we kept trying. Year two, nothing happened. Year three, still nothing happened. Year four came by, still nothing. We thought, wow, um, I guess it's not in the Lord's plans that we go ahead and have a family. And we kept praying and praying and praying that the Lord would, would bring us a child. Well, in the fifth year of our marriage, the Lord blessed us again, and Janet was pregnant. We were excited. We were so excited. But we didn't tell anyone because we didn't want to have to go through that, that tragedy again of when we first got pregnant, it was like we wanted to tell everybody. But this time we just kind of kept it secret for a while till we first hit the first trimester, uh, three, right? And that three months, the first trimester. So we didn't tell anyone. And once we hit that third month, we felt like, okay, everything is going good. And it was going good. Dr. Taylor was our doctor. And uh, I highly recommend Dr. Taylor. A little plug for him, OBGYN. <laughs> He's a perfect doctor. He prayed with us. And, and we didn't know him as a, a church family member at that time because we didn't go to church with him. They, as a matter of fact, I think they had just newly moved uh, to this area, but he's such a godly man. He prayed with us every time that we came in, and I'm assuming he does that with every patient. And we, re we really much appreciated that. But the uh, first three months went wonderful. Everything was going terrific. And the fourth month came, everything was terrific. We decided that we're going to start decorating the, the baby's room. And so we painted it, and I painted it, and I painted it again and again because it was off a half a shade. And I ended up painting, I think, that room four times because it was off a half a shade. And we decorated that room so that it was fit for a princess because that's what we were having was a princess. Well, the fifth month came by, and everything was still going well, and we decided to, to choose a name for our daughter. And we chose Haley Lynn, Haley Lynn Noss. Six month came by, everything was rolling good, doctor appointments were all good, seven month was good, we rolled into the eight month of the pregnancy and we went in for a checkup and Dr. Taylor comes out and after doing his, his uh, looking over Janet and he came out with a little concerned look on his face and he said, uh, there's a little bit of a problem I think and we need you to... Uh, go down to Atlanta. I think it was Emory Hospital. If he was in here, you'd probably be able to answer that. I, I think it was Emory, one of those hospitals down there. He said, we need you to go down there and just, uh, there's something not right and we need you to go have a checkup down there. So we drove down to Atlanta, went in for the checkup and 
why we were in the checkup, uh, our little girl passed away at eight months. And I thought that, you know, all of our prayers and everything that happened, I thought this was what God's will was for us, is to have this baby girl. The worst part about it all is that we had to travel back to Calhoun, and Janet had to go through the whole delivery, the whole motion of delivery for a baby that we weren't going to be able to receive the joy from. And as I sat in that, that uh, delivery room, and Dr. Taylor delivered that baby. Right when he delivered her, I just couldn't, I couldn't take it. And I, I stepped outside the room in the waiting room. They have waiting rooms outside the delivery rooms there. And I sat there and I just cried. Well, I think, I'm, I don't, I'm not sure if it was a nurse or Dr. Taylor, but after a couple minutes, he brought Haley out to me wrapped up in a blanket. And I held her. He said, you just, this is your time to say Goodbye. And I held that little girl close to me. And I questioned God. I said, Lord, why, why did I have to go through this again? I had to go through that situation with my mother. And now this baby girl that's part of me is dead. And I won't see her again until your return. And that's the good part about it is that I had a choice at that time. Was I going to stay faithful to God? Or was I going to curse God? And at that point, I remembered I held my girl close to my chest. And I said, Lord, I will never curse you. Even though this tragedy has come before me, there's a reason for it. And I'm, gonna, I'm not going to curse you. I just pray, Lord, that you, would t- that you would bring me through this. One of the hardest things we had to do was go home. My brother, I think, and my dad and I disassembled the room while Janet was still in the hospital. We took down everything that we had put in place in that perfect place in that room. That was a hard thing to do. And the only thing that gave me encouragement and Janet encouragement through this whole time was my, my grandma. My grandma bear sent us a, a card. And in that card was a quote, a quote from Mrs. White that said in, this, in, this, in the second coming or the, the, the return of Christ, the holy angels will bore up those children that were dead and place them in the arms of their mothers. And that is the one thing that's held us to that day when Christ returns, that we'll be able to know that Haley will be placed in our arms. And I'm looking forward to that day. But as I went through this tragedy, and time, as time went on, I healed. We both healed. It hurts to talk about it, but we both healed. I could look back and see a progression starting to happen is that through the first tragedy, my faith was very shallow. But in the second tragedy, because my faith had grown and my relationship with Christ had grown, I was able to get through that tragedy. There was one more tragedy in my life. The year was 19, or 2013. Uh, previous years, my dad had uh, developed Alzheimer's. And it gotten to the point where my stepmother was not able to take care of him. And we children used to go up 
quite often and, and try to figure out what was it we were going to do with him. And we got to the point where we were deciding well, he's going to have to go into a home because he's not able to, my, my stepmother is not able to take care of him. And so we had just gotten back from visiting up there and we got a phone call uh, one evening that my, my dad had tripped and fell and hit his head. And he had to go to the emergency room. Well, in the emergency room, they ended up moving him up to intensive care because of, of all the situation, the damage that he had. And he was, he was conscious, but he was very kind of loopy. And, of course, he was getting to the point where it was hard for him to make sense anyways because of his Alzheimer's, but he was, he, you could still talk with him, and, and he, could, he could hold a conversation some up with you. And, but in the hospital, as things went on, you know, as, as older people are laying there, they always develop the pneumonia and all these different things while they're laying in bed. Well, he developed all these things. Well, it got to the point where he became unconscious, and as we traveled back and forth, because my sister and I, Tammy, would go almost every weekend to go visit with him, and uh, my other siblings would come when they could, we spent a lot of time with him at his bedside. And because he was unconscious, I, I just knew that he wasn't coming back. And I can remember the last it was one of the evenings before we were going to move him over into hospice. Uh, he was laying there, and I walked over to his bed, and I put my arms around his head, and I said, Dad, I'll see you in heaven. And I don't know if it was the Lord that did this or if it was my imagination, but he opened his one eye and winked at me and then went back. And I praise God for giving me just that little hope that I know that my, my, that my dad will be in heaven along with my mom. And you know, it's at these times when I look back at my past, which we all need to do is look back at our past to see where we have grown from. My faith when I was young was faithless. Through my tragedies, I gained that faith James 1, 2, and 3 says, My brethren, count it all the joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. It is my prayer that each one of us builds that relationship so closely with the Lord that in our faith, because that's what it is, He's wanting to build faith within us, because the Bible says, in Romans 2, 12, chapter 12, verse 3, says this, For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to, to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to every, has, has dealt to each one a measure of faith. So God has given us all a measure of faith. But to build that faith, we have to develop that relationship with Christ. And we have to go through these tragedies and trials. Count it a joy. Because it has been a joy to me because I know that my relationship with God is here when it was down here. 
So these trials that I had to go through brought me in that relationship that I needed to be with Christ for my salvation. So it is my prayer that all of us here would remember these words. Count it a joy to go through these trials. And it's my prayer also that when the Lord comes back that we will all hear these words. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Thank you for listening. For more messages and food for your spiritual life, go to adairsvillesda.com.